This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 199. We're recording on Monday, March 6th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. We're a little late. We were in LA. We had meetings and stuff, but it's Monday. It gives it a different rhythm, right? It's, yeah. It really are a different side. It does feel different really different. Normally, we're doing this on Thursday or Friday. It'll be the end of the week. All these stories are things we've been thinking about. It's totally different to like come back from a weekend yeah. and be doing this on Monday about the past week. And then, like, I guess we'll do this again on Thursday this week. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good reminder. So this is episode 199. So we have one more. Ep- Next is our episode 200. We have a handful of 200. episode 200. Ask us anything, questions. I guess we'll probably record on Thursday since recording in three days feels weird, or a Friday. I don't know. But you have a couple days after you hear this. If you can get us an email by Thursday, there's a, probably a pretty good chance we'll get to it. Podcast at bookriot.com. I have a few things in there already. Uh, thanks for listening along with us. Again, like we said, if it's enough for a segment, we'll do a segment. If it's enough for a whole episode, we'll do a whole episode. Unless there's some giant, huge news, which, you know, it happens. Yeah, who things, knows? Things happen. Maybe Harper Lee is doing something else. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, quote, unquote, Harper Lee. Oh, um, I see what you did there. Yeah. Also, a reminder for those of you, a lot, we're getting a lot of nice email from those of you listening along to Better Living Through Books, um, which is our podcast side project experiment that we're doing where right now, I don't know what we're going to do after we're done with Thinking Fast and Slow. We've talked about some other things. We'll see. But we're doing two chapters a week of Thinking Fast and Flow by Daniel Kahneman, um, and we're through episode four now. Uh, so there's you know it's still easy time to catch up. I wanted to throw this out as an idea for the general listeners here, but also those of you who are listening through Better Living Through, through Books. So we don't have ads over there on that show. It's not a book riot jam um, at this point. So um, we're doing it on our own. We're paying for the hosting, everything else like that. And so we're trying to think of some you know fundraiser things to cover our server costs and pay pay the editor. Uh, my brother Kyle, who does all the editing for us, you know, he's doing it um, right now gratis. And I said I, we'd pay them, him something. And I thought, you know, some way, if, if listeners wanted to help, you know, pay the bill, we could come up with some ideas. Um, one idea I had was, and I talked to, to Rebecca about it over the weekend, is if we released all, let's see, it's going to be, what, 21 episodes, I think, uh, is what yes. it's going to turn out to be. If we released all 21 episodes together as, like, basically in an audiobook format, like, it would still be the episodes of us just saying stuff, like, we're not going to write it down and do a narration, but you could, like, have the whole thing in one file that has chapters, so that you don't have to listen to a podcast player. If the feed ever goes away, you can have it. Also, the nice thing about this is you could you could send it to somebody, which if you as you're a listener of podcast, you know that say you should you should listen to this podcast. They get to get their podcast player and blah blah blah. This would be sort of a pay what you will. You'll get an MP3 that you can do whatever you want with. So that's that's kind of our idea. So if if you think that sounds interesting, um, let us know at podcastofbookriot.com. As, as even if you're not listening to the podcast, like if you're just sort of a listener of podcasts, would, would that be cool at some point as a fundraiser or you know just a special throw-in if we give you a whole bunch of episodes as MP3s that you could do whatever you want with it? I, we're we're thinking about that too. What other ideas do we have? We had some other ideas about it. I don't remember now. Oh no, I think we a t-shirt, t-shirt of some kind. Yeah, we, but we, got, we, we can't step on that. Yeah, we, we won't. We won't reveal our t-shirt idea, but no. we are having fun over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a link in the show notes um, if you want to go check out Better Living Through Books. It's bltb.fireside.fm. Yeah, it's been cool to hear from people who are reading along with us so far. Yeah. All right, let's you do our sponsor, about our first then on sponsor? with the show. All right, our first sponsor this week is Spaceman of Bohemia by Yaroslav Kalfar. I just read this like last weekend when we were 
traveling. So uh, it's fresh for me. It's about a man named Jacob Prochaska. He uh, has gone from being a small-time scientist uh, in the Czech countryside to being the nation's premier astronaut. He's basically plucked from obscurity um, when there is a discovery that there's this like giant crazy cloud coming off of Venus, and they want him to go analyze what's in the cloud. So he is launched on a solo mission off to Venus. He takes it. He leaves behind his devoted wife, Uh, That turns out to be more difficult than he anticipated. And while he's alone in space, he finds a companion in a giant, possibly imaginary alien spider uh, who is like crawling around his uh, space machine. (laughs) I'm losing words. (laughs) What is this? Rocket? (laughs) Yes, rocket. Space machine. Spaceship, maybe? Uh, Yes, spaceship. Yeah. (laughs) Whoo, it's Monday. Uh, so he's talking to this giant, possibly alien or possibly imaginary alien spider. They have these very deep philosophical conversations about like the nature of the universe and love and what is our purpose. And Jacob forms a very intense emotional bond with this spider who may or may not be real. Uh, and the big question is, will that bond and the ways that Jacob has begun to think about life be enough to get him through a clash with secret Russian rivals who are also in space, but no one knows it, and return him safely to Earth to have a second chance with his wife. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this book. It was sort of mind-bendy in a very pleasant way. It's uh, it's a, a nice, enjoyable, like, is all of this real? Is none of it real? What of this is real? What does it mean? Uh, and the writing is really gorgeous. Uh, uh, great new voice to be introduced to. So again, the book is Spaceman of Bohemia by Yaroslav Kalfar. Well, we had, we did get big book news um, last week. It would have, it wasn't, it would have been in time for last week's show. It was like midweek last mm-hmm. week. And I remember thinking at the time that it'd be too bad. Um, well, though, I guess we got some more details. Um, so on Wednesday, I think, yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday morning that we started getting rumors and whispers, actually uh, hurried whispers, I would say. I'd go so far as to say um, that that day, the the tail end or the, the finishing stages of the auction for um, books by Michelle and Barack Obama were taking place. Like the, the deals were going to be done that day. Basically, publishers had their last chance to submit their last and bests um, uh, and that the deal did close. And um, basically, the details we know are, are, are these. One is that they're being packaged together, so they're not going to be published together necessarily. But you know, there's a you buy them both when you're buying them at auction, uh, which we'll talk about that in a minute. And then that the price is pr- rumored to be somewhere in the sixty-five million dollar range for an advance, which is really breathtaking. I could um, not find evidence of anything even near that when I was The highest Googling. published number I could see was $15 million for Bill Clinton's memoirs. Mm-hmm. Now, who knows? I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what would come close to this, honestly. Like, Harry Potter, the Deathly Hallows, <laughs> I don't know how, how her books were broken and, up. And it remains a question here how many books this deal is for. Yeah. Um, the rumors is just for two, one from each. That's what we've heard, yeah. again, in the coming weeks and days and months and years, we'll hear. But the rumor is it's one from each both to be published in the fall of 2018. But let's just use Clinton as an example. Uh, even if, if you break them out and just say they both get, are worth 30, which who knows? I, I don't know how you would break this out. I'm sure the publishers were doing their own valuations. But if you split it right down the middle, both of them individually are double the previous record of any extant number I could see for a published advance. Mm-hmm. Then after that, like, 
after that, we get up, we get up, we get excited about you know. I remember Lena Dunham got three million bucks for um, not that kind of girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malala, I think, got about three million for her book. I remember it was about that, that was about the, around the same time, which is as Lena Dunham's books because we were kind of comparing in the head. Right, I think Megan but, Kelly's was close to ten. Yeah, eleven. It was eleven. I remember that um, with Harper Collins, uh, which that that number is a crazy mm-hmm. number. and that book's not even out nope, yet is it no. did it ever come out i don't think yeah. so not like uh, i was boy. really waiting for it no 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 <laughs> but i think we would have heard about it but so uh, a, a staggering number um and i guess i don't know i mean I, who knows how they come up with the numbers for this i mean at that number let, let's again let's say they're both w- w- worth around 30 let's say they're breaking it that way i mean you're expecting a book to sell 10 Millions of copies, yes. maybe tens of millions mm-hmm. of copies uh, over time. I mean, one thing that about the, a presidential biography, at least, and Michelle, Michelle's book, we'll talk about that maybe in a minute, too, they sell forever, right? I mean, these things, they become part of history. Um, you know, Clinton's memoirs are still saying, you know, Kennedy's books, you know, Profiles and Courage will sell. So this is not a thing where they look at their PL and and say, yeah, we'll have this thing recouped by 2020, Um this is a multi-year, multi-decade investment on the part. Uh, Penguin Random House won the bid. I don't know if we said that. Um, and Obama, uh, President Obama's previous book deal was with Crown. So we knew that they had the inside track. And we, I think we had said at one point when there was other rumors about Obama's uh, future publishing career after the election that, you know, he had an existing deal with Crown. And there were books owed on that deal as far as mm-hmm. if, if my memory serves. But we said, you know what? You you rip up that contract. Oh, yeah. You, know, you start you, you just, over you there. You just start over there. Um, he has all the leverage. So that's the deal. Um, that's all we know. We can assume, I think, that they both will be memoirs of their time in the White House. I can't imagine anything other than that would serve Again, this kind of price at this point. I had read, oh, I guess back around to the inauguration, an interview with um, Michelle Obama's chief of staff or former chief of staff or like a profile of that woman mm-hmm. who was talking about that um, Michelle Obama was definitely working on a memoir of her time as first lady. And we know that Barack Obama kept a journal during his time in office. He is has already written memoirs, uh, but presumably that's what these are as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this includes her uh, plans for children's books. Um, I, I would so. assume that would be something separate, uh, but it'll be interesting. Like, I think this is kind of just the beginning of how this is going to be interesting. Like what if they decided to drop them on the same day? Um, are they going to go on book tour together? Uh, yeah. <laughs> are we just going to die from excitement? I, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> at, at some level you wonder if there's like, um, there, there's, competition between the two books like if, if they came out on the same day is everyone gonna go buy them both I, are people gonna choose do they do they actually get some um yeah i mean there's know, like that's, multiplicative effect yeah, uh, of them both being out there it's I don't interesting know. maybe they'll bundle them because publishing is so good at that yeah, right <laughs> um, i'm sure that there is the venn diagram of the reader who would buy both or who wants to read both of these but michelle is so popular in her own right that you know, she's going to have readers that he won't have and vice versa. Like sure. not everybody wants to read a giant presidential memoir, um, yes. the doorstop dad book really. Uh, but 
it would be, it's just going to be interesting. This is, I've never heard of uh, two people selling their memoirs sort of collectively like this, especially Mm -mm. a married couple. Um, So I would also just love to know the inside scoop on why do that instead of auction them separately. Um, Like, do they have, uh, do they have the same agent? Do they have different agents that were working on this together? What's like, what is the thinking in getting one big deal instead of two deals? I I don't know why you would Is there some benefit? Um, I've just been kind of like, I'm puzzled by what is why. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's benefit on the Obama side and you don't have to compete with each other, mm. right? You know, because like if let's let I would assume that um, President Obama's memoir would be quote unquote worth more, though from what I've talked to people, I'm not sure that that's the case anecdotally, but that's a different question. But let's just say that his is um, two thirds of the deal, 40 to 20. Mm-hmm. That seems reasonable to me. Maybe you get more for Michelle's book because they want Obama, President Obama's book. You know, I don't know. It's kind of like a dual hire for tenure. Yeah. Sometimes. Oh, I have thought about it. Yeah. One one person is the lead hire, and then the other person gets a job. Maybe they wouldn't have gotten, and if they hadn't had sort of the you know sort of a rock star, and also that doesn't mean they're incompetent. Just like one person's on a different different level. That seems weird to me because you know clearly I think Michelle Obama could have claimed, um, uh, yeah, could have garnered seven figures herself. What kind of seven figures? I don't know, but it might be weird if they were doing publicity for different houses using different agents. Yeah, you know, that, I think there's maybe all that kind of niggling um, implementation details of actually getting the books out into the world that maybe is just cleaner if they can work together. Maybe they will go on tour together. I mean that that. That would be amazing. I mean, that they're up there, you know, in a couple of chairs with being interviewed oh, by Marilyn local, Robinson. you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it would be kind of remarkable um, in that way to see them talk together and interviewed together and telling story together. Um, though that one seems to me, I don't know that you get double the return on having them both in the chair. Maybe you get a little bit mm. more than, but. You're going to fill whatever building you have That's for true. President Obama's That's book true. tour. So, well, and for, you're going, yeah, you probably for Michelle, too. Michelle's, yeah, exactly. So um, I'm guessing that from the publisher's point of view, it, it doesn't matter. But I'm guessing if I'm Michelle and Barack, um, and first of all, I just look at myself in the mirror thinking how cool I am if I was, <laughs> if I was that. But <laughs> After the, you the spend a thing, few hours thinking about how cool you are. Yeah, after I, at the first thing I would say is it would just be sort of neater if we were in this thing together with the same agent and the same editors and this you know we're mm-hmm. just we, we're in this thing together that that makes a certain kind of emotional sense to me whether or not the dollars and cents thing adds up and at that level a million dollars here a million yeah. dollars there who's really counting maybe we can ask them when they go on book tour yes <laughs> yes i've so many i thought um we i you know i rushed a news post about this last week but we've got questions so and one many. of them is why do this um this way i mean we knew they were going to get the, the the books. Other pieces of the deal are also interesting. Did you see the rest of some of the other stipulations in the deal that came out after? Oh, no, I don't think I did. Part of the deal includes um, a donation of one million oh, books. yes, I did see that. Um, to, I think, first book, mm-hmm. right? From Random House. So that's, the, the dollar amount of the deal is like 60 to 65 million. And then there's these other things. Um, and also for f- one million print books, but then also participation by Penguin Random House and some of these other initiatives we talk about. One of them is a ebook lending program for, for low-income families. Um, so they got a little bit of uh, charitable giving, mm-hmm. you know, got a little philanthropy in the mix there, too. Of course they did. That's how, that's how they roll. Um, but Fall exciting. of 18, that's not too... I mean, that's about a middle soon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm, they're going to have to get to work, but it's not, it's not tomorrow. It wasn't ready, but they're not, they don't have nothing either. You know, it's kind of a, you know, that's, well, that's a thing. Where, sure. And, and she could have, I guess, been writing for a while already. Um, and if he has journals, I don't know how yeah. that comes together. Who knows? I just want them now. <laughs> please, yeah. Please finish I mean, your books. Clint, I mean, and, and I would expect them to be doorstops too. Yeah. That's how these things generally go. I, you know, the other thing speculated is that sometimes in these deals that you get, you hear announced that, like, um, the gar- uh, yeah, Jesse's home going, mm-hmm. I think. I think that was for North American rights only. That was a million dollars. And there's some speculation that this $60, $65 million must include international rights. That's another piece mm-hmm. that might be going on here, where I don't know that about President Clinton's yeah. um, presidential memoir. But the other thing is, we may not be comparing apples to apples in terms of what the deal includes. Like, this could be world distribution rights. Um, also, which makes sense. It's as a global figure, probably, well, we'll see how things pans out, but like the global figure of the last couple decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. Hard to think of anyone that would get 30 million for a book. I, I can't, if Harry Potter comes out, if Harry Potter 8 is announced tomorrow and, and JK auctions it off, it's got to be in the $30 million range, I would think. I, would I mean, think so I, too. I, I would think it would have but to it's... be the. The surest grand slam of anything you could possibly imagine. It's hard like, to think of anything else, though, in that. Like, the, there's yeah. there's one, and it's her. I mean, not Game of Thrones. I mean... No. No, there's a movie and whatever, but, like, it's not going to sell 10 million. No, the fan base is just a totally different thing. Uh, I mean, Paula Hawkins, The Girl on the Train, which is a runaway, smash hit, blockbuster, whatever other adjective you want to use, success, has sold 6 or 7 million mm-hmm. over three years. Um, and that's, you know... I, I I don't know the PL math well enough to know. I sort of know how it works, but like if you're expecting, if you're trying to just get to even on a $30 million advance, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, because like, again, I'm, I'm guessing the Obamas also got a different split than your normal debut mm-hmm. mid-list novelist <laughs> or whatever. But you know, 15% of the hardcover cover price, 20% of the hardcover co- cover price is not unusual. So let's say the $30 hardcover, that's, you know, so you're getting $6 a book. That's 10 million hardbacks to get to even. Nah, I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. And then you throw some paperbacks and audiobooks and ebooks, and I guess maybe you can get there. But again, it has to be a multi-decade, and it does seem to me it has to be an international mm-hmm. deal. Um, we'll find out uh, gonna pretty soon. going to be a fun one to watch. Maybe we'll book club those, too. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, just, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. just make sounds. Yeah, that's interesting. There are, um, we have some. I'm usually not a fan of this kind of thing, but but I'll read I'll I'll read one or both of these. Yeah, we I think at least one of our contributors is working their way through reading a biography mm-hmm. of every president, um, and I don't oh, know yeah, if they're going right. in order or not. But like that's a resolutiony kind of reading goal that people make. I'm not gonna do that, but I'll. I'm going to commit. I'll read both of these for sure. I wonder how many you could do if you went through book-length memoirs of every president. Like, not all of them have a book-length memoir. And, you know, yeah. I think that's a relatively recent phenomenon. It'd be an interesting piece about the history of um, presidential biog- um, mm-hmm. autobiographies. Because um, this, I also would assume, especially since Barack's previous two books covered a lot of his other life, that this is White House, mm-hmm. B.O. and the W.H. Um, or an <laughs> that's MO what they're the going to call it. <laughs> B O M O in the W H. Um, <laughs> feel like I'm starting a rap. I feel like we should move on before that. <laughs> yeah, before that. Before really we gets, do any damage, um, abstruse. Um, speaking so there's of, that. Let us know. I want to know if, how excited you guys are about that. Are you going to buy this? You know how excited. I hope they read their own audiobooks. 
That's all for sixty five million dollars. Well, they should act them out with puppets. But Hillary didn't read all of. Um, no, but she didn't get thirty five million dollars. Well, that's dollars true. Either. But it would would have been. And she was sitting so Secretary better. of State and running for president. You, you got to you know. Come on. Barack and Michelle, you've seen their pictures. They're just on vacation. Just wearing floppy hats and drinking things with umbrellas. Living right. They are living right. Uh, So I'm going to awkwardly transition us to speaking of history. Oh, man. I just saw this story this, today. We crashed a quick uh, post about this. Why don't you tell me this, what's going on? Okay, so Howard Zinn, who wrote A People's History of the United States, which is sort of a uh, – well, it is. It's not sort of. It is a classic and beloved but also controversial work It's like of, a mainstream alternative yeah, history, weirdly. Exactly. Yeah, like There's a lot no other of, way of talking right, about it. Right. It is a mainstream alternative history. A lot of people love it. A lot of people don't love it. Uh, you're, you, you are likely to encounter it in a high school history class or on a college syllabus um, – Mm-hmm. I I think I would be hard pressed to like find anyone who didn't have to read this in their education at some point. If you like, if you graduated from a liberal arts university, at least you probably yeah came you across, probably read a chapter an introduction. You came or across heard of this some Howard Zinn uh, mm-hmm. and sort of a look at the untold angles of American history. Uh, so a representative in Arkansas named Kim Hendren has introduced legislation to uh, prohibit any publicly supported schools that includes charter schools from including in their curriculum or course material, any books or material authored by Howard Zinn. Um, actually anything it says, apparently anything that he wrote before 1959 is not covered, uh, but that doesn't include the seminal works. Um, Mm. he died in 2010 and this is like, I mean, this is the first time I think that we've seen, well, not the first, but it's one of the, uh, few times that we've seen what is actually an attempt to fully ban a book legally, uh, on this show. We've talked a lot about, you know, different school systems wanting to remove books from their libraries. Or yeah, pretend- this is the state. And it, I, I mean, well, yeah. I guess we have to, what a full ban is. This doesn't say a bookstore can't sell it. This right. is in the schools, right? And this is a statewide curricular school mm-hmm. ban. You can't have it in your coursework. It, it's not clear from the bill whether or not you could have it in the library. Yeah, I can't and the, tell um, quickly. Like the link to the legislation that's – we're in a, a piece in the Arkansas Times here. And the link to the legislation actually is like very short and doesn't yeah. include a whole lot of detail. There's not an argument made in the pieces that I've seen so far about why uh, this person wants this ban to exist. Um uh-huh. But one can guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, perhaps wisely or not. It's been a while since I've read it, so it's hard to think. I mean, but it's a the people. It's a it's a you know a working class kind of economic history, mm-hmm. you know, and it's 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 not going to be comfortable for a lot of people, and it hasn't been um, for a lot of people too. But so yeah, the, the difference here is it's not reacting to any specific um, appearance in curriculum like we see from these school boards. Um, there's no particular parent group or organization named, um, and it's 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 supra district mm-hmm. in terms in that you know it's beyond the, the individual school district, which I haven't seen since we've been doing this show. Something yeah, that no. this this is ambitious. A statewide ban on yeah, the material in the schools. Ban. Um, the Arkansas Times piece pulls from the uh, obituary of Howard Zinn from the New York Times that quotes uh, that says that. 
A People's History of the United States uh, focused on the genocidal depredations of Christopher Columbus, the bloodlust yeah. of Theodore Roosevelt, and the racial failings of Abraham Lincoln. He also shined an insistent light on the revolutionary struggles of impoverished farmers, feminists, laborers, and resistors of slavery and war. Um, and mm-hmm. so, I, I mean, from there, we can guess at what I mean, it's kind of like pick whichever, like, you know, it could right, be any of those, that, all that of them. This perspective on history is not one that this representative thinks is uh, safe or acceptable. Yeah. Uh, and I heard it described once to... as the underside of America, like an oh, omnibus yeah. volume of the mm-hmm. underside of American history. That's you know, a good everyone who has it. Mount Rushmore, that's the other side of the coin. That's another, it's a way of thinking yeah. about what's going on there. Yeah. That's a really I mean, good challenging. It. And it, you know, it is interesting, um, interesting being a, a shockingly, uh, you know, low grade euphemism when we're, you know, I'm throwing you in with me because we both grew up in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I'm sure your experience was similar to mine. Reading history books, you know, you didn't get all that. You didn't get the nasty bits. Mm-mm. You didn't get the, the, the real, I mean, even slavery, which we talked about was more of a, it was talked about more as a, I don't know, a policy than a lived experience. Um, and, you know, forget about native Americans and indigenous peoples and just the, the on and on. Um, but the Zen, it is a catalog, you know, kind of a, a reverse Whitman catalog of American sin. Um, and so I'm not surprised that anyone who wants to cover stuff that I like up or makes it uncomfortable or conflicts with their worldviews wants to get rid of it. But boy, is this bold faith. I mean, wow. It, yeah, it, it is. Uh, and we're, you know, mentioning it because the listeners have told us that you want to continue you know, to hear about these kinds of things. If you live in Arkansas, things, write some letters. Is, yeah, you know? if you live in Arkansas, contact your representatives and express your concerns about about this. Um, it's, I'm, I guess I feel kind of numb by the news at this point. So I mm. was like, I should be more surprised that this is happening. Cause this is very just bald faced. Um, but I guess given the current climate, it was like, Oh, well, yeah, of course they're coming for the historians. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the worminess of people's desire to do stuff like this has been emboldened, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to draft a bill without any explanation banning the works of a particular author in a particular time frame without any real justification. And, you know, one of the pieces says that this this legislature says they're wanting to do this to, to spark conversation, which is, I don't know, a, a little bit like sm- smashing someone in the face and saying, I wanted to do this so we could get to the mediation right. stage. Like, I, I don't know, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, Have maybe a that's freaking to cover. book club. Read the thing. Yeah, what is the, what is the point? There, what is, you know... It's kind of like with um, with the SNS. If they just said, you know, we think this is un-American and there are lies or whatever, at least you'd, there'd be something to like hold on to and fight. This is just we want to get rid of this because I've had some constituents tell to me, constituents say to me, we don't want this. Um, boy, in state legislature, I mean, I grew up in Kansas, so yeah. this no surprise to us, but. It's oh, state legislatures really. There's some well, there's, yeah. I mean, I live in Virginia now. Right. The shenanigans that we see uh, on a regular basis, where you're like, okay, well, why are they just going through the motions now? Because our governor's going to veto that. But here, here we go again. On right, yeah. This I mean, thing I don't know if this is a situation where time. I don't know if this is a. I don't know enough about state legislatures to know like. What percentage of bills even get voted on? What percentage of bills even get out of committee? Like, can you can just draft a bill right and mm-hmm. submit it? So is this to placate some loudmouth constituent 
somewhere, you know, or to show your bona fides to some conservative group that you're hoping to get money from. Right. I don't know. It could be any or all of those things. You know, if but it, even that it gets floated at yeah. all is really depressing and disturbing and just bad. It, it just is. Bad. It's all of those things. And, you know, yeah. this is one of those moments that we've been seeing. I wouldn't be surprised if we had the Streisand effect here and Howard yep. Finn's books rocket up the Amazon list. Like, you're looking yeah. for a little moment of literary activism, buy a copy of this and donate it to your local school library. I wonder if the people's history has been climbing the charts even, you know, before this, as people are turning to books. Um, I was in Powell's uh, this morning, actually, looking for some things. And I went to go look at the 1984 section just to see, because mm. usually, you know, 1984, if, if a classic book in your Powell's, you can find, you know, used copies and, you know, various editions. They were Picked clean of used stuff. There are three edi- <laughs> three editions of new, but you could, and I went and I looked at um, the Handmaid's Tale two, and there was a there was another one I was going to go look. at. I don't remember. Oh, uh, Brave New World, Huxley, because mm. I've heard people reading none. The, all the used copies were out, and my local library. Then I got home and I looked at the Multnomah County Library holds the two hundred and eighteen holds on nineteen eighty four on thirty seven copies. So people are chomping at the bit for it. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, if this, if before this, Zen wasn't selling pretty, pretty briskly, more briskly than normal, and this certainly would be the kind of thing people will latch onto. Oh I, yeah, I, rec- I highly recommend it. It would be a good summer project mm-hmm. if you're interested in sort of resistance reading of any kind. Um, oh yeah, don't you think it, it had to go on a million college syllabi for this semester? Like as soon as the election yeah. was over. The and thing is, it's like, so long. <laughs> I mean, it's so long that what I've seen more, more commonly is you get a chapter mm. at a time. Um, and the the one I had to read was about farmers because I'm from Kansas and it's like economic farmers oppression was it was easier f- for my state to deal with than any of the other myriad social things going on in the book. But I think that might be one reason it's not assigned more is that it's like 800 pages. It's a big old book, um, even as a paperback. But like I said, a big old book that would be a, a really worthwhile and rewarding yeah, that would summer be a good project. reading project. All right, well, uh, tell us about our next sponsor. Yeah, so the volumes from Penguin Random House Audio. Volumes is their list audiobook listening app. So here's what here's what you get. You can get there's a bunch of stuff that happens in it. You get exclu- exclusive free content from Penguin Random House Audio. So they have interviews, um snippets of forthcoming books things that haven't been allowed yet. Sometimes there's um you can get, you know, advanced copies of stuff too. There's audio experts from thousands of titles. So it's a really great sampling kind of app. You know, one thing we know about ebooks is if you get the wrong narrator, or the wrong edition or whatever, um you know, on text, it's you reading. You know, the the text itself is can be something you don't like, but it's your own head doing the the, the light and sound, so to speak. <laughs> um, but if you have an audiobook narrator, you have sort of two levels of intermediate of, of mediation, excuse me, between you and the and what's the story being told or the information being um, passed along. So with this, you can you can sample before you make a commitment to say, you know, a, I'm guessing people's history of the United States on audiobook is like ten thousand hours long. So you want to know. You know, give yourself 20 minutes of listening to a sample of a book, if it's going to, especially if it's going to be a long one. Hours of offline listening with downloaded content. You can share your stuff right through Twitter and Facebook. There's a things like, I'm liking this audiobook. That's cool. Really nice audio player built in. You can access um, audiobooks downloaded through iTunes and the Volumes apps right there. You could bookmark your favorite passages to refer back to. I don't know if I said this on the show, but I recently learned this is something Michelle does with the Night Circus. Sorry for telling tales at school, Michelle. That, you know, she listens to the Night Circus as a calming, you know, 
thing. And there's specific chapters that she goes back and listens to at, at those particular times, especially. So she's she's written them down um, so that she can refer to them, but she has to do it by hand. With the Volumes app, you can bookmark those things right there. If there's something you're trying to study, trying to memorize, you're trying to use refer back to later, that's really easy. Um, also, there's a nice sleep timer tool to establish listening sessions so you can turn it off if you like. I know more people than I would have thought have said to me they like to listen to audiobooks as they go to bed and they fall asleep, but then they've got to find out where they were. So with the sleep timer, that can be one easy way to sort of say, okay, I know I was in there, and you can skip back there. So that's Volumes. It's available in the iTunes store. Go get it right now. Uh, yeah, go search for it. There'll be a link in the show notes, direct download. Check it out. All right. You want to hear about some good activism? Yeah, let's hear about good activism. Well, I could about, use it after let's that. Let's talk about happy activism. Yeah. Uh, the good folks at Teen Vogue, which here is another, if you want to do a tiny act of literary mm-hmm. activism, you can get a subscription to Teen Vogue for the year for, I think, 5 or $10. Um, and they're doing incredible reportage. So do that or donate it to a teenager in your life. Um, they have reported that Daily Action, which is a text message-based service that sends you one resistance task each day, and it facilitates facilitates the process. So it's like here is you're going to call your senator today, click here to find your senator's phone number and read this script. It sort of walks you through the whole mm-hmm. thing. They have launched a book club that will be moderated by the New York Times book review columnist Benjamin Moser. Um, each month there will be a new selection and they're going to hold an online meeting at the Daily Actions Facebook page. So I hope that goes like that element. I hope it goes more smoothly for them than we've seen it go for, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, and there will be... <laughs> <laughs> like Facebook as a book club facilitator is not the best, but they're going to try it. They're also going to be doing some things uh, with our colleagues over at LitHub. Um, the first selection is by David France. It's called How to Survive a Plague. Uh, the book, uh, which followed France's Oscar-nominated documentary, which is also called How to Survive a Plague, um, tells the story of the LGBTQ activist movement to combat the spread of AIDS um, and about the development of HIV treatment and management. Uh, so that is the first pick. There's going to be one every month. Uh, this is the first like resistance book club that I've seen on a large mm. scale. Um, in the at least in the new sort of political moment, uh, there was Emma Watson's feminist. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember what they called it, but she has the feminist book club uh, that she launched in 2016, sort of in the run up to the election. But interesting to see this. I think we're going to see a lot of these things of readers, you know, coming together to make sense of their world through books. Um, David France, the author of this book, is going to participate in the discussion himself and be available. So if you want to, if you're looking for like a resistance book club, this is a good place to start. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes um, to the Teen Vogue piece that has all kinds of resources there. It looks like the conversation is going to take place on March 13th. So a little bit of short notice, but you got a week by the time you're listening to this to uh, at least start reading the book if you want to Well, to we said in. before, um, online book clubs, there seems like there's a lot of potential there, but it's always the the easy part, and, and none of it's easy, is we're starting a book club, here's the pick, and then what? Right. You know, what is, what is the club part in book club? Everyone can get the book part right. Here's the book. We're picking it, and this is our book for the month. What does the club part look like? And Teen Vogue has been so active um, and really at the vanguard of a lot of political coverage that uh, it makes sense for them to be doing this. How they will figure out the, the, the interaction part. Um, yeah. if they do, will be really interesting. Well, I guess I should, uh, should make it clear. It's a li- it was a little muddy here. Teen Vogue is reporting the piece, but the club is from the Daily Action. Oh, I'm sorry. I got that confused well, because yeah. I was like, hadn't we talked about this? Because Teen Vogue might be doing their own I think that they, thing, too. I feel like 
I've seen Teen Vogue book daily clubs, action um, yes, also, yes. but yeah, daily action is daily running action. the book Pardon club me. and they're partnering, uh, with lit hub, I guess, to continue running that, but Teen Vogue was reporting on it. And there are just a ton of links to other things that you can do, uh, related mm. to both books and, uh, the resistance in this Teen Vogue piece. So, uh, I think the kids I talked, are all right. We talked, um, I guess it was when we were talking about, um, the book um, Amanda was on the show. We were talking about Kim Kardashian and mm. Chrissy Teigen starting their book mm-hmm. club, and I haven't seen any follow up on that. To, to, to tell you the truth, I was musing or wondering aloud about what it is. Even people at the height of their fame, right, um, mm-hmm. are interested in book. Like, what is it about book clubs that you know has this gravity that pulls people towards them? And I asked in our um, book writer contributor back channels. I got a lot of good feedback from people on Twitter, uh, listeners of the show on Twitter, and an email. And it, it's it's funny because the books, it seems to me, from what I've heard on the whole, now I don't, anecdata, sample size, disclaimer, disclaimer, is that the book club is really not about, it's more, you should call it a people club that meets around mm. books. Like the <laughs> ones that hold up, they do so because the group themselves like each other, they're coherent, they find themselves interesting, and the time they spend together, um, valuable. Um, I, it, and I, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I tried a book and the book seemed fine, the book, the, but it just didn't cohere and there was, the center could not hold. So I do think that these, these things that are trying online book clubs might be leading with their chin a little bit, thinking that the book is the thing that's going to hook people. I think if you have a community that is like interested in itself in whatever book you would pick, they might do well. Um, so like the necessary but not sufficient condition of an online book club must be the same one that's true for real life book clubs, which is an engaged community that likes, you know, spending time together in whatever format that takes, you know, a a series of recommended reading that takes place over a a period of time does not a book club make as far as I I I would say. Actually, I understand the impulse as you're saying here to like gather the people around the thing, but the clubbing of the book is is the tough element when you're not mm-hmm. meeting face to face. And I almost wonder, and I know like we obviously have bias here because of our side project, but I almost wonder yeah. if they would be better served by like a doing a monthly podcast about each book selection where, mm-hmm. you know, the hosts work through the book together and the listeners get to sort of participate quote unquote in the discussion by hearing that. Um, and like I, you could do a chat room or something, but right. it, I would, I'm just guessing, but I would guess that like really the folks who are turning to this are doing it because they have been using the daily action. They trust that as a resource. And so they're going to take those book recommendations yeah. from well, that resource. I mean, yeah. But the mm-hmm. like, how interested are they in in talking with other people at the book? Who knows? And like what that experience is going to be like on Facebook, sadly, is kind of predictable. Yes. Well, it's it's not unlike the problem you have in a, in a classroom setting of trying to go from a seminar to a, you know, once you get to 30 people, you're basically a lecture, you know, right. maybe with some questions. So how do you do the thing where you have internet scale, but book club intimacy? That seems very difficult um, to me. And I have yet to have seen something... Uh, done well by a large group. Now, I know there's some people that use, you know, r- regular size book clubs that use online tools, which is a different kettle of fish. Um, but trying to scale a book club, to my knowledge, is not something that someone's figured out. Um, all of our communication tools are so either one-to-one or broadcast. Um, and mimicking the kind of organic crosstalk that can happen in a small book club is not something the internet has of yet um, offered as a platform uh, for in a meaningful way. And if there is one, or even just a tool, I'd sure like to hear about it. So you can send us an email podcast 
um, at bookriot.com. I didn't want to, we skipped over, but I, I want to just pause on it briefly, a piece in Publishers Weekly mm-hmm. about the New York Times. Um, you know, Pamela Paul gave a talk at a publishing industry group, I'm, I forget the name of it, and it kind of doesn't matter, in which she outlined and elucidated some of the changes happening at the time. It's, it's a follow-up to a story we talked about a few weeks ago as the New York Times was getting rid of, changing, mixing up its bestseller list, including getting rid of, you know, no longer listing graphic novel bestsellers and mixing up some YA and print stuff. Anyway, I thought it was interesting here. Pamela Paul says this is part of a larger effort to, to mix up and change up um, the New York Times book coverage t- away from, as, as she says, 85% reviews to coverage of books that cover genres they don't typically get to and don't necessarily benefit from a straight long form review, which is, you know, kind of what if you get the, if you get the headline review in the New York Times, it can be an 800 to 1200 to maybe even longer review, which may not be appropriate for a lot of books, um, <clears throat> as we know. And into a different kind of format, which they can talk about books in a variety of formats and a variety of genres, a variety of ways by how a lot more editors. And I just thought that was really fascinating um, that they're doing it now of all times. Like, I would have thought it was something they would have done five years ago. I mean, you know, we've talked about it before on the site. Like, one of the reasons that I think a place like Book Riot exists is because of the conservatism, I guess I'll use that word. Of the big outlets, and it's and it's. In, I, I wonder what they're seeing that leads them to do that. Yeah, because you'd think if they'd weathered the storm for this long in online and digital shakeup, that they would have been glad of their strategy. But it seems like they're not glad of their strategy. You put this link in, so I, I'm curious yeah. to see what you think. Yeah, about no, it. I, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. She notes that there was a lot of. Um, that previously there wasn't a lot of overlap or communication between the daily book critics, Michiko Kakutani, Dwight Garner, and Jennifer Senior, and the Sunday Book Review. Um, Mm -hmm. So there would sometimes be overlap or duplication in the things that were covered. And so one of the things that they're going to be doing is putting all the book's coverage under a single umbrella um, so that they can prevent that. And hopefully there will be, you know, less duplication and therefore more individual titles, more variety included. It does seem sort of insane that they weren't Um, talking to each other about what books were getting right, reviewed. especially I mean, like it also seems that like the first time we really saw talk about that duplication was probably like four or five years ago when Jennifer Weiner was yeah, pointing was out like you know why is Jonathan Franzen getting a regular review and a weekend review and, and a profile, profile. Yeah, like right. why are you getting three pings in the New York Times when there are many other you know deserving writers who get nothing um, or from her perspective how that um, also works out to be sexist in book. Uh, coverage. So it looks like, I mean, they, you would think that they would have started looking at this and talking about it then, um, if not before, and maybe they did. And it took five years to figure it out. Um, Pamela Paul has made some changes in her time over, yeah. uh, running the New York times book coverage, but it's interesting to, that she's saying here, the, there's also a philosophical shift, um, that along with the digital strategy, the question is not going to be, does this book merit a review, but rather does this book merit coverage? Um, and mm. having 85% of your content content be reviews, which is what it has been, as you were saying, up until this point. Like, I think that's kind of the nugget here is that yeah. there has been, there is, and our biases are what they are again. <laughs> Let's right, just sure. acknowledge that. But a real shift away from the importance or power of reviews in book coverage because the internet has allowed so many other ways of talking about books and readers have started seeking so many other ways to talk about books and to find out what books they want to read next, what they think is worth their time, ways to connect with readers. And so I think that 
that's what I'm reading into this is Mm -hmm. there's going to be a shift away from not, you know, totally away from reviews, but a shift away from so much review coverage and maybe more towards other ways of getting people uh, to click on their links for those Mm -hmm. because this is part of digital strategy, um, other kinds of coverage that readers might be more interested in some experimentation there with expanding non review coverage. Um, And, you know, it also does seem to convey to me like a little bit of snobbery like like what what kind of book wouldn't merit a review but would merit coverage like are we talking about mm. romances here do they not want to have to critically review romance do a but 15 of, yeah i don't know but do but they'll do a you know a roundup of well, new romance books yeah. I'm, I'm just guessing here but like i'm i guess i'm not entirely generous about where this might be coming from or what this new coverage might do like some expansion is necessary mm-hmm. and hopefully good um in including more genre uh, and you know, not just literary fiction, but I'm interested in really like in, in what drove that. Is it a desire to like f- to feature more books without having to treat them as equally merit mm. meritrosh? <laughs> <that word? laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I'm uh, uh, worthy. I think yeah, worthy. worthy. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think I think there's 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 certainly capable. There's certainly um, built in. I guess, uh, possibility of bias and sort of like this is weighty and deserves the big time review and this is frivolous and only re- requires this. Though I will say that probably it it varies quite a bit. Like it would, be, you know, children's books is something that we've thought about. We do some coverage of and you don't, you know, a 32 page picture book is hard to write 1200 words about unless it's a really extraordinary or groundbreaking or something else is going on. Sometimes all you need, or especially what I'm looking for as a parent of a picture book is here's sort of the story and here's sort of the perspective and the art's great. Okay, you know, do that in a few hundred. So you can get more children's book coverage. If your only hammer is a thousand word review, a lot of nails are going to go unpounded um, in that particular in that particular strategy. So I think that's interesting. But also the thing that they don't say here is that reviews are boring. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, re- 10, 000, who's going to read? I mean, I'm in the business um, and uh, of interested personally, and I subscribe to the Sun and New York Times, and I don't re- read that thing cover to cover. Like, who's reading the New York Times book review cover to cover if it's not me? I, I don't really understand that. So I think there's something beyond a litany every week, uh, 12, 1,100-word reviews of literary fiction and weighty nonfiction, some other way they could do it. Now, is that just going to be a an excuse or uh, you know a pass to to give other th- include other things with by giving and still give them short shrift? I don't know, but you don't have to convince us. Uh, <laughs> there are other ways to write about books than right. twelve hundred word book review. Right, and you know, like it's worth saying also that there are people who can and who do write very good thousand word reviews of yes. children's books. Like it can be done. Yes, it can there be done. There are people who do it and who do it exceedingly well, but this doesn't look like interest in, in doing that. So I think there's a bunch of things going on here. It'll certainly be, we're going to continue paying attention uh, to this, but I'm, you know, I'm a little suspicious of motives. Yeah. Or, or, but is this John Grisham's new book really require 1200 words or a couple hundred words for people who like John Grisham, they can sort of get a, I mean, I don't know, like it's <laughs> yeah. interesting to think about. Um, you could cover the new Jonathan Franzen in a variety of different ways. Cause like right now, especially if it's a big time literary fiction title, if you don't get a review, you're getting snubbed, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's kind of what it is. And I wonder if this will, I don't know. I yeah, guess maybe people will still see. cover those spots even more because they're, 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 de- they're scarcer. Um, 
I'm not sure. You know, let's do a little bit more inside baseball real quick. Um, this is not something on the agenda, but this is something I think people who are interested in not just um, publishing, but also, well, they're interested in publishing in books, but the industry mm-hmm. and the big players in it. Um, we got we got emails and a lot. And if you run a book blog or anything like this, you might have gotten email too. Amazon's affiliate program um, is changing. I don't know. We, I think we've said this before on the show that yeah, yeah, we um, Book Riot itself participates in Amazon affiliate program, and you click on links and you buy stuff from Amazon. We get a little, we get a little taste. Uh, we wet our beak a little bit, as they say in The Godfather. Um, and for a long time, that has been pretty stable. The the tiers of what you get and how much volume you drive, you know, kind of determines your tiers. Um, and we got, you know, everyone who does an Amazon affiliate and like, this is big time people, right? You know, we're talking about the verge. We're talking about the wire cutter. We're talking about Vox. We're talking about the Washington post. Um, people who participate in Amazon affiliate and, and, and a lot of book bloggers out there too. I know you do, um, participate in this and they've made some radical cuts to their affiliate program. Um, and it looks like maybe, for most people, it's going to turn out to be about 50% fewer dollars on a monthly basis. Um, and I bring it up here because I, it's one of those situations where, you know, people talk about Amazon's power, and we talk about it too. But I, I thought it might be worth sort of putting our own cards on the table because this is something that affects our pocketbook of the site. And we're not going to go to business. Don't get, don't get worried. We're, we're going to be fine. But, you know, it does make a difference. But it is one of those things where you see some with enormous market power at work. Because as you know, um, Rebecca and I were talking with our, you know, our, our colleague Clint over the weekend about should we do something else? What else can we do? Should we go to Barnes and Noble, Powell's or something else? And just doing the math, there's just nowhere else still even now that even gets close to the kind of revenue we would lose. So it's one of those situations where Amazon in collecting power and collecting, you know, the kinds of affiliate um, dollars that it does and the kind of products it does. It's been a great tool for them. But then once it's in their interest, they can then ratchet the, they can lower the hammer, right? Mm-hmm. And this is an, a, a micro scale thing of what's happened in publishing. You get a big enough platform and it's either our way or the highway. And if there ain't no highway, it's their way, right? So this right. is just one instance of what Amazon does. And I'm not saying it's wrong or bad. Um, it's frankly something we've talked about. Is like, what if Amazon decided to you know, do this. We're like, where would we go? What would we do? And we kind of came to the same conclusion. It's like, well, we would just kind of have to eat it. And yeah. we're just going to have to eat it. And if you're in publishing, this has been your story too. Um, and I have been, I haven't, I've been sympathetic to publishing's plight. I haven't been, I don't know. I, I haven't been troubled. Let's put it that way. Cause this is kind of the, the deal you make. And we made the same deal and saw the same thing happen to us in this particular thing. Um, but that's just another example of what Amazon can do, what a big platform can do um, in this particular situation. I thought I would just say that, you know, we talk about Amazon's comings and goings, and this one that affects us and affects a lot of different people. So I, I don't know. We didn't talk about talking about that. Is it anything you else want to add there, Rebecca, or anything else you think people should be interested in knowing or should know? Yeah, no, it's a, that's a really thorough description of what happened. And it it's very interesting and troubling and fascinating and like a whole bunch of things all at once to think about how it seems like there should be an alternative. And we really did have that conversation of like, what, what else could we do? Uh, but they have just developed so much power and so, uh, such Mm -hmm. devoted customers really is sort of what it comes down to that. One of the things we talked about is if we, well, if we were to move to Barnes and Noble, we would have book revenue. We know that our readers like to buy books from Barnes and Noble, but 
a, a huge piece for anybody who has Amazon affiliate uh, stuff going on is not just the things that people click through to. It's not just the books, but it's the books that they buy. And then also a, set, a portion of like the kitty litter from and the, right, shoes kitty litter and the diapers and, yeah, and right. the yoga mat, like whatever else they happened to purchase. And we would be, we'd be giving all of that up if we moved to something that was just a book retailer. Uh, so mm-hmm. just an interesting Sort of, I mean, it's it's a brilliant move on Amazon's part to have this program and to have it work the way that it does, and then to make mm-hmm. uh, the people who participate in it, you know, sort of reliant upon it to have it be so unique. I guess that also points to the fact that like that no one else has developed a successful competitor to this program right. uh, that's equally compelling mm-hmm. for for businesses and individuals, bloggers who might participate in it. So it's also, yeah. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's all bad because. I mean, people talk about the jobs that get lost in publishing or in newspapers or, you know, wherever. But, you know, just to put in some perspective without doing specific numbers is that the, the revenue we make from Amazon in a year is enough for about two, you know, editors. Mm-hmm. You know, those are two. Sometimes people ask me, like, couldn't you just get rid of Amazon and, you know, use Powell's links, even though that makes us almost zero money. Trust me, we've checked. It's like, oh, sure. Um, would you like to choose the employees we get rid of? I mean, that, that, that's where we're that's what we're talking about here. Right. Um, it's not talking about uh, you know w- how many bottles of Dom Perignon we're drinking month <laughs> over month. Um, it, it really makes that kind of a difference. So you know, Amazon giveth and Amazon taketh away is the story to some degree. And I think you would be foolish, as anyone would be, to pin the prospects of their business on one other business or two other businesses. And ours is not built that way. But I would not be telling the truth if I didn't say that it's a meaningful. Mm-hmm and reliable source of, of revenue for us that we don't have to do um, anything additional, really. I mean, we have a link mm-hmm. generator or whatever, well, but we don't have to write extra posts or something. Right, like that. yeah, Book just, Riot's big enough and our business is diversified enough that this will know. be something we'll feel, but it's not the end. But uh, one of the pieces that I was reading was like, is this going to be the end of book blogs? Like there are many, you know, sort of individually run book blogs for whom Amazon revenue is the only source of income. Yeah. And it might be, even if it's just how they're paying their hosting fees, mm-hmm. um, not having that income to balance out the expense of the hobby of running a book blog uh, might be enough to put some folks off of doing it. So it'll be interesting to see also what maybe some of the unintended consequences uh, of, of that change are. Do you want to hear, we got good news. Well, first, well, our last we got to do, do the last sponsor. We got a couple and then we'll do some, some good news. Yeah, good news uh, so yeah. our last sponsor this week is universal harvester by John Darnell from the mountain goats. Uh, this is not his first novel. Uh, he has become quite a writer. This is set in the late 1990s. It's about a guy named Jeremy who works at the video hut in Nevada, Iowa. Uh, a local school teacher comes in to return a movie called targets and says there's something on it. Two days later, a different customer returns a different tape and says there's another movie on this tape. Jeremy discovers that in the middle of each movie, the screen blinks dark and the movie is replaced by a few minutes of jagged, poorly lit home video. Uh, This is a literary thriller as he is trying to decipher the mystery um, of these clues that are scattered among the tapes that his customers rent. Uh, It's being compared uh, to page turning homage to in cold blood and the ring which that's an interesting mashup (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah you got small town takes a dark turn uh, in this video store i think uh, sounds great and john darnell's first novel was called wolf in white van that was a uh, national book award nominee and uh, i think a finalist for the los angeles times book prize also a new york times bestseller 
Uh, so some fiction chops on him. Mm-hmm. Here again, the book is called Universal Harvester. It's by John Darnielle. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Okay, so good. We have good news to report here as we wind up the show today. So, um, as, as many of you know, Noel Santos, um, uh, Bronx resident, um, would be bookstore owner, launched her Indiegogo campaign a few weeks ago, and we are thrilled to announce to report. We're not announcing, she announced it herself. We're reporting that she hit her goal. Uh, she's at 113% of her $100,000 goal with 12 days to go. So you can still get on this if you want to be part of the, the Noel Santos train. So the Lit Bar um, has met its funding goal. As we said when we first mentioned this on the show, that she is not trying to crowdsource um, all the crowdfund, the entire nut she needs for the the, the, the store. Um, this is only about a third of what's going to need to be done. Um $300,000, but it's enough to put her over the top where she can go ahead and, you know, buy $50,000 worth of stock and sign a rental space. So that's a lit bar. It's coming to the Bronx. Um, I'm sure sometime soon after, op- uh, excuse me, the, the campaign closes, we're going to start to get more details mm-hmm. about where it's going to be, um, you know, when it's going to open, things like that. It's a, it's a bookstore and wine bar, which seems very cagey of a selection uh, to me <laughs> to make smart. it together. Um, but we're thrilled. Um, and we've been following this with great interest, and we're really excited about it. So uh, I, I'm sure some of you may have kicked in a few bucks. Um, so congratulations to Noel um, and Godspeed. And I know from having our run our own Kickstarter a couple times, um, it, this is where the work starts. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't want to throw those... too much water on it, but this is great. But this, le- this lets you do more work. The work yeah. isn't done here. It just those, lets you do uh, more work. The days of holding your breath about are you going to make your goal uh, yes. are over. But now you get to hold your breath about a whole bunch of other things. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> but great job to her. Thanks to any of you guys who chipped in. Uh, we'll definitely be watching the development of the store and mm-hmm. uh, returning a bookstore to the Bronx with interest. It's awesome. I get like just happy every time we get an update about <laughs> that story, especially since she just showed up at Book Riot Live. I know, <laughs> so that, great. That magic moment in that live show. Um, one fun tech note before we Yeah, I, I was hoping you were going to let us do this. The, Let's do this. The folks at HarperCollins who can be relied on to do interesting mm-hmm. digital things have launched two book recommendation bots through Facebook Messenger. They did this, I think this was last week. Last week. Yeah. Um, there is Book Genie and then Epic Reads, which is uh, specific to young adult titles. It uses uh, artificial intelligence interface through Facebook Messenger. Uh, and we'll have links to those in the show notes. But basically, it asks you about your taste about your general mood and past favorite books to then generate recommendations from the HarperCollins catalog for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can check that out. One of our contributors took it for a test spin, so we'll drop that link uh, into the show notes as well if you want to find out how she found it to be, but I won't spoil anything there. What's interesting about this is, um, you know, there's been a lot of studies about social influence and, you know, how, how do you accept a recommendation? Um, and I think the thing that anything like this might have trouble with is unless you've gotten a good recommendation from it before, which if it's the first time, how could you have, right. is why do you trust someone to give you a recommendation? Why do you trust, not even someone, why, do you, why would you trust something to give you a recommendation? Like that initial investment of trust into a recommendation source apparently uh, is so c- crucial to accepting and actually acting upon a recommendation that, you know, you get a recommendation from the New York Times. Let's, you read the New York Times book review and it gets a good review. That's effect, you know, it's basically a recommendation. Why should you trust them? Well, because you have some other social 
context for the New York Times is a thing that you should pay attention to, right? Or a star from uh, Entertainment Weekly or, you know, 10,000 reviews on Goodreads even. That's, you know, Goodreads and those are a whole bunch of people. But if it's a bot that is basically some code, why would you trust it? It's so interesting. Like, how how is it going to work that we get to a place, if this ever does work, um, and this isn't even about the execution. Let's say that your best friend was giving you the exact same recommendations on the exact same query. You're going to trust your best friends. And how is it going to be that we're going to be able to a place where we trust algorithms enough to actually act upon the recommendations? I think that's so fascinating. Yeah, I just it, don't know it way is really fascinating. And we know why books want to solve this, right? Because it's worked yes. super well for music. Pandora, Spotify, like they're very good at mining what you've listened to and what you've liked and recommending other things to you. But the barrier for entry there is so mm-hmm. low. Like at the most, you're going to give, I don't know, three and a half minutes of your life to a song you've never heard yes. before. And if you don't like it, then you're only out those three and a half minutes and you get to refine the algorithm by then telling it, mm-hmm. no, I didn't like this thing. It's so much harder with books. Because well, we have a model. Of, we already had the radio. We already yeah. had sort of unsolicited and, recommendation yeah, streams. Like that's the, what radio was. Just the the investment of time for a book recommendation is so much higher that I think mm-hmm. that's why that trust piece matters or it's part of why the trust piece matters so much more. But also the quality, like there's something sort of like you can do, they've done a bunch of analysis about like if you like X song, yeah. you're, you're probably responding to like these features. Like that's how Pandora works in mm-hmm. recommending similar songs to you. And with books, there's sort of something else intangible about mm-hmm. it that it, it's tough to, I think it's tough to do. It's like the magic of what a good bookseller or a great librarian can do. It's hard to, it's hard to put that in an algorithm. So yeah, well, there's it's, a, it's an ultimate big data problem for recommendation. Yeah, because, you really know, you have is. a 300 page book, you know, you're going to have tens of thousands of words that you have to do something. Where when a three and a half minute song, you've got tempo mm-hmm. and you've got a couple other different things going on that, that is more mathematical or at least more readily mathematical combined with a lower barrier to entry. Uh, I think it's interesting because who's this? I mean, if if technology technological history has told us anything, that things that can be algorithmized will be algorithmed, uh, will be put into an algorithm. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that algorithmized is a word I should ever try <laughs> to say ever it. again. Meretriciously. Um, yeah, <laughs> That's a completely different word, actually, as it turns out. Uh, anyway, so yeah, this is a you know, is it something a that could be usefully served by algorithm, and secondly, if it can clear hurdle one, hurdle two is getting people to trust that you know this twelve hour commitment and my twenty five dollars for the hardback uh, is something I'm I'm going to put some of my emotional and psychological and temporal chips on. I'm just not sure that's we're quite ready for that. But go try it, check it out. It's an interesting experiment. I think. Um, I think it's something that's it's definitely worth trying uh, if you're interested in this kind of thing. I'll leave it at that. All right, that's that our, our show? show. That's our show. Uh, as always, you can find show notes well in the description of the episode when your podcatcher right there. All the links and our sponsor information, everything else will be right there. Also, you, you can leave us a comment if you want to, um, and also see this, the show notes on the web at um, bookriot.com slash listen and navigate to this particular episode. Also, shoot us an email about any of the stories we talked about, feedback, um, other information. We always get such nice and useful additional context um, and feedback from our listeners at podcast at bookriot.com. Additionally, if you want to send us a 200th episode question, do that. Now go check us out at um, Better Living Through Books. The link is there. But you can also search for Better Living Through Books through whatever your podcatcher of choice is, Overcast or iTunes or Google Play or whatever. We're listed there. You can find it there real easy. Um, I think that's our show. Yep. Have a good one. All right. Talk to you next week.